He was highly educated, one of the most prestigious and powerful of his society, and he used that power ruthlessly. By today's standards, we might call him a right-wing Nazi extremist. He hated a certain group of people so much that he made, he made it his purpose in life to go around dragging them from their houses and throwing them in prison. It was said he uttered threats with every breath, and he wanted to take life. Who was he? He was the man perhaps most recognized in conjunction with Christianity just behind Jesus Christ himself, the Apostle Paul. Nowhere else in the Bible, or perhaps even in history, is there as powerful an example of the total transformation of a person's life. It was an encounter with Jesus that transformed him and a searing heavenly light that dropped him to his knees and left him totally blind and unable to eat or drink for three days. This fascinating story of how God healed and commissioned Paul for a whole new life in the book of Acts is found in chapter 9 of Acts. Yes, he was God's chosen instrument to take his message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. But he breathed threats of murder. This violent man, ruled by hatred, was brought to the end of himself, to the perfect place where God could perform open-heart surgery. He was literally brought to his knees in suffering. That same procedure can happen in our own hearts as well. But it usually happens only when we find ourselves on our knees suffering in a crisis. Isn't that true? Some of you may have had your own personal experience of going through trial and suffering. And the result of going through the trial and the suffering brought about an inward change in your heart and totally transformed your heart and transformed your entire life. It happened to the Apostle Paul. And in the story we're going to read this morning, we're also going to see it in Joseph's brothers. For we're going to see they're going to be put in a very difficult situation that's going to cause their hearts to be transformed. It's the pressure that does it. The passage we're going to look at today is chapter 43, verses 1 to 34 we're going to see that God will use crisis in order to transform hearts. And when we think about the times in which we live, I can't think of, of a time when I turn on the news today and I don't hear the word crisis. It's everywhere. Crisis, crisis, crisis. Crisis in the Middle East, crisis abroad, crisis at home. A crisis, a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. And that is what's going to be going on in the life of Joseph's brothers. So the question I want to ask as we come to Genesis chapter 43 is this. How do we know when God's work of changing a heart in the midst of a crisis is actually taking place? How do we know that God is going to be working in the heart of a person in the midst of a crisis? What are the evidences of that? What will God do when he's going to transform a heart? Remember, 
We saw in Joseph's brothers, initially in the 37th chapter, their hearts were hostile and had hatred towards their brother. Last week, we saw that their hearts were hard. And so now we're going to see God actually transform their hearts. He's going to transform their lives, their lives, and he's going to use a crisis to do it. So how do we know when God's work of changing a heart in the midst of a crisis is actually taking place? First of all, A heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will take the message of Jesus seriously. Verses 1 to 5. Now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Now here we see right off the bat that there is a severe crisis in the land. A severe famine. Last week, the famine was just a famine. But this week, we see that the famine has gotten worse. The crisis has intensified. And what does Jacob the father do? He says to his sons, I want you to go back to Egypt and buy us a little food. I want you to go and buy us a little food. Now, why does he say that? You're in the midst of a crisis. The crisis has got more intense, and it's causing him to do something. He has to make a decision. And so he tells his sons to go to Egypt and ask for a little food. You would think in the midst of a crisis, you would want as much food as you possibly can. So then why does he ask his sons to go to Egypt and ask Joseph, the governor, for a little food? You know why he does that? Because he wants, he's, he wants he, he's going to minimize the crisis is what he's doing. He's making light of the situation by asking for a little food. Why? Because, Joseph, because Jacob wants something done his way. He wants his brother, he wants his son Judah to go to Egypt. Okay? And he wants him to say, give us a little food. Why? Because Jacob does not want, he's hoping to get food without giving up his son, Benjamin. That's that's what he's trying to do here, right? Joseph had told the sons earlier, you're not going to see my face until you bring Benjamin with you. Jacob knows that, but he doesn't want to give up his son. But at the same time, he wants food. So, He's going to minimize the situation, minimize the crisis, hoping that if you just ask for a little food, that Joseph will renege on the demand of requiring Benjamin. So he's going to minimize and downplay the crisis in order to get what he wants. And that's happening today. There are those who are in positions of leadership, which Jacob was. There are those in positions of leadership who are going to downplay a crisis in order to get what they want. There are people in positions of power who are doing that today. They will downplay a situation, a crisis, in order to get what they want. Judah does not do that. 
He takes the words of Joseph seriously. And what were the words of Joseph to him and his brothers? You're not going to see my face until you bring Benjamin with you. Judah says to his father, I'm not going down and I'm not going to listen to your instructions until you allow us to bring Benjamin with us because that's what Joseph said. Judah is taking Joseph's words seriously here. And as Judah was taking Joseph's words seriously because he understood Joseph was the sovereign, those in the midst of a crisis, when their hearts are beginning to change, you will see them begin to take the words of Jesus Christ seriously in the midst of a crisis. As Judah was taking Joseph's words seriously, those of us in a crisis, when our hearts are beginning to change, will begin to take Jesus' words seriously. Very important. This is something that Jacob was not willing to do. Those people, people today who have hearts that are hard, and when God begins to work in their life in the midst of a crisis, the first thing that will happen is that they will begin to take the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, seriously. And crises have a way of getting us to hear Jesus' words in a way that we may not have heard them before the crisis. That's what's happening to Judah here. He is listening to the words of Judah, uh, of Joseph. And in the same way, we must be willing to listen to the words of Jesus, who is the sovereign. That's the first sign of a change of heart. Secondly, A heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will begin to take personal responsibility for the well-being of another, even if it includes taking a risk. Verses 6 to 10. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully or wickedly with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? You can see Jacob is in pain. He's caught between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't want to give up his son Benjamin, but he wants bread. And so he doesn't know what to do. So he lashes out at his sons. The conflict, the, the crisis. But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and we will go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and our little ones. I myself would be a surety for him. For my hand, I will be a surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you, set him before you, and set him before you, let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. Here we see once again Judah is now changing. He's willing to take personal responsibility to make sure that Benjamin comes back to Jacob. A surety, what is a surety? A surety is a guarantee or a pledge. So if someone within this church was in debt, I would step in for that person and say, if they don't pay their debt, I'll bear responsibility for it. 
He's taking the personal responsibility to make sure that, he, that Benjamin will come back before Jacob. He's going to take the blame for it. And in fact, he may, in this case, we don't know what the penalty would have been. He could have lost his life or he simply could have borne the shame of not fulfilling his obligation. But here we see that a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will begin to take personal responsibility for the well-being of another person, even if it includes taking a risk. This is something that Judah would not have done earlier on. But you're seeing God use the pressure to change his heart. First, by taking the words of Jesus seriously, then by, will it, by his, uh, uh, his willingness to bear personal responsibility for the well-being of another person in their midst. And this was risky because a surety was not something that you entered into lightly. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, you need to be careful before you take on the responsibility of somebody else. For an example, in Proverbs 17, 18, it says, a person lacking in sense shakes hands and becomes a guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. And also in Proverbs 22, 26, and 27, do not be among those who shake hands, among those who become guarantors of debts. If you have nothing with which to repay, why, why should he take your bed from under you? So this was a risky proposition for Judah, but it was something that he was willing to do. And it's an indication of a heart that's beginning to change that God is bringing about in the person. Thirdly, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will place his or her trust in the providential hands of God, even if it incurs loss. Verses 11 to 14. And the father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And here we see Jacob is starting to change. We saw earlier on he was unwilling to let Benjamin go. But now the situation, because God has turned up the heat in his life, he's got no other alternative but to let Benjamin go. And so what he has done with his language, he says... He says, may God Almighty give you mercy before the man. The word for God Almighty is El Shaddai. The term El Shaddai, this was an Old Testament term for God that the patriarch used when they would refer to God. El Shaddai. It's often used in the book of Genesis. And this term in Genesis is seen as a deity who is blessing, making promises and covenants, and revealing himself. It evokes the idea that God is able to make the barren fertile and to fulfill his promises. This is a term used to express God's almighty power, and he's able to do whatever he has to do to bring about his will. He can make a barren land fertile. He can make a barren woman fertile. El Shaddai, all-powerful. And when he says, when, when Jacob says, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, and that he may release your other brother Benjamin, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved, he's, he's simply saying, God, your will be done. 
I can't control the situation in my life anymore. So you have your control. You do what it is. You do what you need to do in my life. And if that means I'm going to be wounded in the process, so be it. A heart that changes in the midst of a crisis will do that. Did God ever put you in a place where you just didn't know where to go or didn't know what to do? You didn't know what decision to make? And you said, Lord, I can't fight it anymore. I'm not resisting anymore. Your will be done. It took Jacob to come to this place in his life for him to do that. He's been fighting it his whole life, or for a good portion of it. And here, he finally, because of the pressure, relents. His heart is beginning to change, just as Judah's is beginning to change. Fourthly, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will receive divine benevolence or kindness through human agents. Verses 15 to 23. So the man took the present, and so the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the men did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us by force to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, oh sir, we, need, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight, that is the exact amount. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought it down the other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you, do not be afraid, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Here the brothers are concerned that they go see Joseph. Joseph makes an appointment to eat dinner with them at noon and commands his servant to make it ready. So the brothers realize they're going to this man's house and they think that their brother has an ulterior motive. They're concerned that this guy is going to punish us for taking the money that we, that we found in our sacks. And all they want to do is to say, hey, we're innocent. We didn't steal the money. You, you gave it to us. Or we don't know where, how the money got here. And the response of the steward is, peace, be still, don't be afraid, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Notice that he says, I didn't give you, he says, the steward says, your God and the God of your father has given you money? No, treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Treasure is, is something of great value that is not hidden, or that is hidden, usually. That's what a treasure is. And what we see here. By the language of the steward, he's 
He's saying that God is blessing you in this time of crisis, in this time of need, and he's using me to bless you. When, when you're under pressure and God has you in a circumstance where he's squeezing you to change your heart, to bring about a change of heart in you, he will often use people in, around you to bless you. That's what he'll do. That's what he's doing here. When you're going through pressure and you're in a crisis situation, God will use others around you to be a blessing and to show his kindness to you. He cares. And his care will be evident in the midst of the crisis. Fifthly, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will humbly submit to the authority of Jesus. A heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will humbly submit to the authority of Jesus. Verses 24 to 28. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet and he gave them their donkey's feet and he gave their donkey's feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they had heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house, and they bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke about? Is he alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down, and they prostrated themselves. They're showing through their bodily posture a submission to Joseph that they have never done before to this authority figure. When people are going through a time of crisis and God is beginning to change their heart in the midst of it and they don't know the Lord, that's one of the things that will be evident of a changed heart is that they will submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what they will do. And so we're seeing that played out in the life of Judah's brothers. They're submitting themselves to the authority of the sovereign. Sixthly, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will be given sustenance, nourishment, and strength from Christ. Verses 29 to 31. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your mother? Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Here we see the brothers in the midst of a crisis are going to receive the bread, the nutrients, the strength that they're going to need in order for them to continue in the midst of the crisis. And Jesus Christ will do that for us in the times of crisis. Receiving the bread, receiving the word is what is absolutely essential for God's people to be receiving in order for them to, sustain, to be sustained in the midst of difficult times. It is the bread that he gives to us. The word of God will provide us spiritual strength and nourishment to our souls in times of crisis. Seventh, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will experience discriminatory and exclusionary policies leveled against them by an unbelieving world. Verse 32. 
So they set him, Joseph, a place by himself, and them, Joseph's brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Here in the midst of this crisis, they're sitting at a table with the Egyptians, and the Egyptians It was their policy not to eat with the Hebrews. It was considered repugnant. It was morally repulsive. It was detestable, disgusting for Egyptians to be sitting at a table with Hebrews. They were in this condition, in this situation, the Hebrews were, because their hearts were changing. And because their hearts were changing and they were willing to listen to the sovereign's message, and were submissive to Jesus, to Joseph, the result of that brought an experience in an unbelieving world where they are going through discrimination and they are being excluded. It is not far-fetched to believe that those of us today who submit to Jesus' authority, take Jesus' word seriously, are going to experience prejudice and be discriminated against by an unbelieving world. As the world becomes more and more hostile to Christ and his message, we would only think that those who follow that message will be discriminated against and persecuted against by the world. All because their hearts were changing. God was doing a work in them. But because God was doing a work in them, they faced difficulty as a result. Eight, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will be fully known by Jesus. Verse 33, and they sat down before him, the firstborn among, according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. The brothers sit down to eat. They can't get over the fact that they have been sat, they sat at the table in the order of their birth, of the, in the order of their age, in the order of their birth. And they can't figure it out why. It was because Joseph had an intimate knowledge of who they were, even though they didn't know it. Jesus has an intimate knowledge of people, particularly those whose hearts are changing and are submissive to him, who take him seriously. God knows each and every single one of you intimately, personally. It's as if to say, yes, the world may look at you differently. The world may exclude you. They may be prejudiced against you because of your willing to follow me, but take heart Have knowledge in the fact that I know you personally. I know you. I'm the one bringing about the change in your heart that's making you to be conformed more like myself. And yeah, though the world may treat you with hostility, understand that I know you intimately. And that ultimately is all that matters, is that I know you. And that should take us, give us comfort in the fact that as the world becomes more hostile to Christ, And though the world may exclude Christians because of our values and because of what we believe, we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ knows each and every single one of you intimately. A heart that is changing in the midst of a crisis will understand that. Jesus Christ knows you intimately. And understand, Jesus does not know everybody in the same way. 
Listen to what it says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Jesus, yes, has an intimate knowledge of every person, those who are believers and those who are not believers. But in terms of intimate relationship, he only knows those whose hearts have been transformed in the midst of a crisis, who listen to his words, to listen to his message and take it seriously and are willing to submit to him. And when that happens, we can take comfort in the fact that he knows me personally and it'll help me get through the difficult times and the difficult world in which we're facing. Lastly, a heart that is changing before God in the midst of a crisis will experience joy in the midst of it. Verse 34, then he took servings to them before him. But Benjamin's servings was five times as much as any of theirs, so they drank and were merry with him. They, were, they drank and were merry with him. They rejoiced because their hearts were changing and they were spending time with Joseph. It's interesting, you say, that, that, that Joseph ended up giving Benjamin five times more than he gave the other brothers. See, why would he do that? Why would he give five more servings to Benjamin and not the rest of the brothers? Is he playing favorites? Yes, he is. Joseph is playing favorites. Why is he playing favorites? He wants to test his brothers. Remember, Joseph was in the situation in a pit because the brothers hated Joseph 20 years earlier because he was favored by their father. And Joseph wants to know, are they going to react to Benjamin the same way when they see that he is favored by this sovereign ruler? That's what he's doing. He's setting them up for a test down the road. But the point here is that everybody that was there at the table rejoiced and were merry. They had it was a time of great celebration and joy in the midst of the crisis because their hearts were changed and they were spending it with the one who was working behind the scenes to change it. And that is true with us. That in the midst of crisis, personal or national, we can have joy in the midst of the crisis because we know the one who is changing our hearts, who's working behind the scenes to change us to become more like him. Regardless of what the world says, we have a relationship with the one true God who's coming again, and we can experience joy in the midst of the crisis. That's what his word is saying to us. Can God change the heart of a human being? Absolutely. That's what he's doing throughout this whole chapter. He can and he does. In astounding ways, should you find yourself in a place today where the rug has been pulled out from under your happy life, you are in the perfect place to invite him to give you a new heart. Though, yes, you may already know Jesus, but there are many people who don't know him. And God will work behind the scenes to change their heart, and he will put them in a, put them in a, in a vice, and they will respond like the brothers did here. This is what happens. May we experience God's grace and know that God loves us and is with us and is never far away, but is at work all the time to bring us into a closer, more intimate fellowship with him. 
for his purpose, for his glory, and for our good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You are in the business, Lord, of of changing hearts, hard hearts. That's what you are doing here with Joseph's brothers. You're changing their hearts, and we can see that change. Lord, help us to always take your word seriously, to take the message seriously. And we pray that those, Lord, who are out there in this world, who do not take your word seriously, who may find themselves in a crisis, may that crisis be used by you to change their hearts, to take your message seriously, to experience your divine benevolence, to be willing to take responsibility for another person, even if it's at their own risk to be willing to submit to you and to your authority, for you have authority in heaven and on earth. Lord, help us to be strong and take comfort in the fact that you know us through and through. Even though we live in a hostile world, we take comfort in your love and your care and concern for us, giving us the daily bread that we need every week to sustain ourselves in this crisis-ridden world. And Lord, we know that we can have joy in you in the midst of it all because you are with us and you will give us strength. You did this for Joseph's brothers through Joseph and you will do that for us through Jesus. Change our hearts, Lord. Help us to become more like you. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise for you alone are worthy and deserving of it all. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. I'll ask you now to please stand. And to sing, your grace is enough, the lyrics will be on the screen. working in your heart to transform you, to make him like himself. It's going to be painful, but God is with you, and he will provide for you. He will be with you, for he loves you. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace. Amen.